Hello, and thank you for hopping on and listening to the Community Connections podcast. I'm your host, Cole Warner. Co-hosting with me today, back again, is Chelsea Sears. Hey, everybody. The guest today, she is a wonderful nurse and staff member for over five years with Hospice of Davidson County. You heard her talk about helpful caregiver tips in the home uh, with, with Tiffany Parrish, one of our certified nursing assistants last year. Megan Owens is with us today. And Megan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Megan, when we talked about the the topic and and trying to come have a, a staff member who who deals with this a lot come on and discuss this with us. Uh, you know, I told you that that we thought of you because you work in our facilities, our, our our skilled nursing facilities and long-term care facilities, and we know that you manage the topic that we're going to discuss, respiratory distress on a daily basis with your patients. And this is, you know, we kind of said we were going to go back to more hospice-related topics. And this is another one of those that I think is hard for patients and families to wrap their heads around because it's not something that we often talk about. Unfortunately, in hospice, we always talk about cancer. You know, we talk about the 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 more severe and major disease processes that affect a person, but respiratory distress can be just as difficult for patients and, and especially their families to watch their loved ones go through. So we are going to talk about respiratory distress in hospice patients today. So just a little bit of background, like I said, Megan has been with Hospice of Davidson County for a little over five years. She is a certified hospice and palliative nurse and uh, got that back in March and has been a registered nurse for over 12 years and and has worked some in the facilities. So Megan, if you can, can you just talk a little bit about your experiences in hospice care, just, just sort of in general? Sure. So I have been with Hospice of Davidson County for five years. Throughout my tenure here, I have been on the facility team and have managed care for our facility patients in facilities in Davison County. And we also have a few outliers or have had a few outliers in Forsyth County and Rowan County over my course here. Um, But we work with the facility staff and um, help them to manage our patients' care in the facility, which is our patient's home. You know, we we strive to keep them there as long as we can keep their symptoms managed in the current setting, you know, just try to keep them as comfortable as we can. So speaking on how Cole introduced this podcast about respiratory issues, kind of talk about what things that you've experienced with patients and caregivers and how you address those types of issues. So when you think about symptom management, a lot of people go to pain first, and and that is definitely a symptom that we do see um, as our patients progress in their disease process. Respiratory distress is a very common um, symptom that we have to treat as well, you know, with different disease processes. You may see respiratory distress more in certain ones, such as COPD, CHF, um, lung cancer, um, our patients are very fragile and, and prone to infection, um, which would, you know, could mean pneumonia. So we monitor for, for the different signs and symptoms of respiratory distress and tailor it to each disease process um, for the different things that we look for. Um, respiratory distress can be very stressful for families to watch, but we do have uh, medication 
for each patient. And as I said before, we tailor it to each patient um, as to how we treat. Megan, I imagine that using a term like respiratory distress is very vague and looks very different. Can it be difficult, depending on the individual, to get symptoms like this sort of treated, you know, sometimes a little bit easier, sometimes a little bit more difficult? Like, does this vary very much on the on the individual patient? Most definitely. Um, again, depending on what disease process they're going through could determine how severe the respiratory distress is. You know, at, like with lung cancer, as the cancer progresses, of course, their shortness of breath is going to get worse. If they do get an infection such as pneumonia, of course, that is going to get worse. CHF, you look at like fluid overload. If they're building that fluid up in their body, we treat the fluid uh, retention to try to help that. But, you know, that can get worse as well. Just as each disease progresses, of course, it's going to get worse. So we look at each patient as their own person. Some patients are more difficult to get managed and some patients are very simple to get managed. I like to say, um, you know, with pain or respiratory distress, it's kind of like a fire. So we want to be notified early. Like if you see in your patient or your family member have any kind of signs or symptoms of respiratory distress, notify us early so we can get there and, and get it managed. But it's like a fire. So if you have a little fire, you can put a little water on it take care of it. If it's a big fire, we're going to have to use lots and lots of medicines to get it managed. So the earlier that we can get in there and get to work, the better outcome we're going to have. Yeah, that's a that's a great way of putting it. Because like you were saying, as diseases progress, that respiratory issues can also increase. Uh, you were talking about some triggers. Can you kind of elaborate more on that? You want to have your caregivers and their families notify you, well, what kind of things would they see in order to notify you? So on admission, our nurses start um, the process of education on the disease process and things to look for, for the caregivers to notify us. You know, you may see just increased respiratory rate. Um, say normally on a normal basis, they breathe 16 times a minute. Well, today they're breathing 22 times a minute. You may see them use their accessory muscles to breathe, such as their abdominal muscles, or you may see it in their, like their neck when they breathe. Any kind of, you know, grimace or like furrowed brow, that can be a sign of pain or it can be a sign of, you know, difficulty breathing. Just the typical look of somebody that's struggling to breathe can be stressful for a family member. Something you said there was, was it caught my attention was using the different muscles to, to try and breathe. And I imagine that that is awfully difficult for families to see. What are some, especially as, you know, I know that we deal in hospice patients. So end of life issues are, are incredibly prevalent with all of our patients, but as they sort of transition closer to the end. What does that start to look like for families? I'm sure that that's very, very stressful as they see these respiratory distress issues sort of progress and worsen. So again, it really depends on the disease process that we're dealing with. Um, We may hear um, wheezing in which we would use um, like nebulizer treatments to help with that, to open those airways up. We may see excessive secretions 
our patients, when they get weaker, the muscles and their like their swallowing muscles weaken and their breathing muscles weaken, and they're unable to clear those excessive secretions that they may have in their throat. And this um, is treated one with just turning and repositioning in the bed can help severely, you know, the medication that we would typically use is called Robinol, and it just kind of helps to dry up those secretions and lessen that that rattling sound that you may hear. When your nurse comes out to do her weekly assessment and she listens to um, lung sounds, she may hear some rattling sounds in the lungs. Um, that Robinol can help clear all that up as well. Some patients are on oxygen therapy for shortness of breath. And I always say if the room is cool, it can help breathing. With one thing that I, I want to say about hospice patients is that there is a misconception, not that we don't take patients when they're closer to the end of life and they're, and they're using those abdominal muscles and you're seeing a rapid increase in their heart rate. But what about the patients that we serve that are still getting up and walking around and are dealing with dyspnea or some people say, you know, respiratory issues or air hunger, things like that, all different kinds of terms that lead to difficulty breathing. What kind of things do you talk about with those people when there's a trigger? Sure. So our patients that are still up walking around, um, alert and oriented, able to do the day-to-day things, we, of course, oxygen would be an option for them that can help increase or decrease shortness of breath. I'm sorry. Another thing that we do sometimes with our patients that that is experiencing shortness of breath is steroids. That can help with breathing and shortness of breath. Again, the nebulizer treatments, they help to open the airways. And I always just encourage, you know, our patients that are up walking around, you know, if they need to take a break, take a break. A lot of our hospice patients can walk, you know, 10 feet. And then they need to sit down for a little while. So one of the, if they're up walking, one of the rollator walkers that have the seat on them is a good option because they can just turn around and sit down and take a break. You know, that can help with their shortness of breath too. I appreciate so much. We've given a lot of really great, I think, medical knowledge that I hope normalizes some of the issues for, for families, especially when they're seeing it. In hospice care, it's a multidisciplinary team, and we've talked about the care team before. Megan, I'm going to sort of ask you about your team because I know that not only do you teach this to families, but when families have concerns or they have questions that you all are, are, are there and, and want to and, and really enjoy talking through this so that you can sort of help them to, to recognize this. Talk a little bit about how you and, and your, especially the facility care team, really helps families with some of the maybe more emotional distress of what this looks like for, for patients. So not only on the facility team do we have to work with the families, but we also have to work with the facility staff as well. You know, some of these patients have been at these facilities for years and years, and they're like family to these facility staff. So it's a it's definitely a group effort. Respiratory distress is a normal part of disease progression at end of life or as as the disease progresses, you know, the lungs can overcompensate for the failure of other organs like the heart or the kidneys. And that sometimes can be hard for families to understand. So we do lots of education with the family on, 
you know, the things that may they may see and and just talking them through how we're going to treat it and the steps that we're going to take and normalizing the process for them and, and what they're seeing and making them understand that it is normal for patients to have respiratory distress at end of life. The respiratory distress that you're talking about with the families at facilities, we also are a place where we have a facility inpatient unit. Sometimes we get patients there that come from facilities or come from home and they're there because they need a little bit extra, more managed care with what we can provide at the Hinkle House. What is that extra bit of care that we can do? So in our inpatient unit, we do have 24-hour nursing care. So for our home care patients, you know, of course, their families are taking care of them in the home setting. In our facilities, we do have skilled facilities that have 24-hour nursing care, but we also have assisted livings, and they have med techs there. They um, don't always have a nurse there 24 hours a day to help manage these symptoms. So when we go into the facilities and we manage these symptoms, you know, if we're using medication to treat the symptoms and we're having to increase those doses and increase those doses and we're not seeing any difference, that's when we're going to reach out to the inpatient unit and see if we can get that patient transferred so they can have that 24-hour hospice nursing care. Appreciate you discussing that because I think it I I think episode two, we talked about the different types of settings and it is, I can imagine it is so confusing and, and just difficult to really fully understand all the different types of care settings, what type of care can happen in, in which area, you know, and so if we can ever bring some some knowledge or information about those, then, then I think we've been successful. I'll also say that I always like to learn something. And today you taught me about the lungs overcompensating for other organs. I had never heard that before. And so maybe there's other people that are listening to this that that have not heard that either. So thank you, Megan, for, for teaching me that today. And if you have questions. Of course, you know, if you're a hospice patient, we always want uh, our patients and their loved ones to feel like they can ask any staff member. And uh, if the person doesn't know the answer, they'll get the right answer for you. But also, if you're listening to this and and you hear some of the symptoms that maybe you see in, in your loved one or you're experiencing yourself, it's always good to talk to your physician and get that taken care of and and discussed and and sort of find out what's going on because I appreciated Megan's analogy there in the beginning about sort of putting out a fire, right? And and looking at this earlier, the better, because there's not always, we talk about medication and and there's lots of different types of care settings, but unfortunately it it can be difficult depending on the individual and depending on the process. And, And Megan explained that for us today. So Megan, if you could just maybe kind of discuss a little bit more about the treatment of of some of the, all the things that we've been talking about today. I know it's a lot. So there are several different ways to treat um, respiratory distress. Of course, we like to start low on everything and and go slow, but we want to get our patients managed as quickly as we can. I know I talked a little bit about oxygen in our patients. Sometimes when our patients, their disease progresses and they become confused, oxygen can be more of a burden to them than a benefit. Um, If you see them pulling at it, like out of their nose, if it's causing them more distress than it is good, it may be more of a burden to them. And that would be something that your nurse at the time would discuss with you and and decide what the best option was there. Medications that we use to treat shortness of breath, 
um, is morphine or oxycodone or an opioid of some sort. Um, I know when you think about opioids, you think about pain. They do just as well to treat shortness of breath as they do pain. It reduces the, um, the workload and helps to relax the breathing muscles. So it decreases that feeling of shortness of breath or, you know, the, the struggle. Shortness of breath in itself can cause anxiety. And then anxiety is going to cause worsening shortness of breath. So we do use medications such as Ativan to help relieve some of that anxiety. And it can also help with um, respiratory distress. Some non-pharmacological things that we do is make sure the room is cool. Of course, if you're in a hot room, it's it's hard for a, for a healthy person to breathe much less one of our fragile hospice patients. If they're having, you know, increased shortness of breath, a good option is to place a fan and have it blowing at their face. Um, It just kind of makes them feel like there's more more air coming to them. Um, An open window for fresh air and always um, relaxation techniques such as music, keep the room quiet, just have music playing low, quietly, massage or meditation is always a good option. But always, if you notice any signs of shortness of breath in your loved one or family member, please contact your hospice team. I love what you said about the interventions that are not necessarily medicine, the opening windows, the fans and things like that. It really did make me think about senses because that helps with anxiety, the psychological distress for, I can't breathe is scary for patients and for their caregivers. And so those types of things, massage and relaxation, that really does make a huge difference. And those are the kind of things that you said caregivers can do, right? They can help with that kind of stuff. And in the middle of waiting for maybe some of those medical interventions to take effect, that's a huge thing too. So that is that Cole, you're right. We learned something new today. And I love that. And I think our audience will really appreciate saying, okay, well, that's something that I can do. You know, thank you, Megan. Well, and Chelsea, one thing that you're so right about is it's so grounding for for people that struggle with anxiety. And it's not much different here when we're talking about the respiratory distress because anxiety absolutely sort of uh, has a negative effect on on our breathing and things. So I appreciate you talking about that, Megan. And we're always here to help not only people maybe feel a little bit have have these issues normalized for them, but also it gives them a little bit of agency and control, right? Caregiver is one of the hardest things is feeling like everything's out of your control. And all those things you just talked about, Megan, really do that for families, right? And I imagine that in not only respiratory distress, but in a lot of things that you treat in the facilities, you give the the families and the loved ones and the caregivers ways that they can be helpful and comforting to their patients. Absolutely. They are in control. We're just there to to support. Well, Megan, I can't thank you enough for coming on our podcast today. It's always great to have our staff be featured on here because I know that there's people listening to this that maybe their loved one was under our care or maybe their loved one is under our care and they're hearing you there who was their nurse or, or, or is their nurse now. And I, I know that you provide great care for our families. And so we are so thankful that we can bring your expertise to our community at large here. So thank you again for coming on. 
Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Chelsea, for hopping back on here. And I think we have another hospice topic coming out for the next episode as well. We actually have a couple things in the works uh, that I think are going to be really interesting. Believe it or not, we're already almost through 2022, if I can say it already. So Crazy. almost wrapping up season two of the podcast. And we've hoped that uh, you've gotten something from out of the from the variety of topics that we've had on here. And you can always subscribe and get our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify. We encourage you to subscribe, follow, uh, and listen for more information and, and check out our social media platforms. Mm-hmm.